Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is one thing that they will not, cannot do. There's one thing that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, that they can't do, won't do, and Jesus knows it full well. And so he tells a story. Before we get to the story, though, I want you to picture the scene. Because there we have our Lord teaching and preaching, proclaiming the good news, and surrounded by this huge throng of people, this great mass of onlookers and bystanders. And you have really two groups, Luke tells us. That first group is the insiders. It's those scribes and Pharisees. They are the ones who are are coming to the Lord, and they're a little bit skeptical. They're more than a little bit skeptical. In fact, Luke tells us that they are grumbling and grousing. They are mumbling and murmuring at this so-called Savior who is welcoming all of these riffraff to his table. So you have that group, the insiders there. But then you also have these outsiders, the so-called tax collectors and sinners, and they are drawn and drawing into the Lord. They are hooked like northern Michigan salmon out of the big lake, right? And they are just being reeled in by this teaching of our Lord. And it's interesting, St. Luke uses a couple of words that really accentuate this contrast. When he speaks of those scribes and Pharisees, the insiders, and he says that they're grumbling, the Greek word there is gunguzo, gunguzo, whereas the outsiders who are drawing near to him, that drawing near is engidzo. And so you have the gunguzos and the engidzos, and they are coming together, and what's going to happen next, right? You can picture the scene, this large, unruly flock all gathered around the Lord. And Ezekiel, he kind of pictured it, anticipated it already. He talked about the fat sheep and the lean sheep. The fat sheep being those insiders, the the shepherds who had ignored and abandoned those weak ones who were seeking to come to their good shepherd. And Ezekiel says it's those insiders, it's those, those pharisaical fat sheep that are shouldering out of the way the lean ones, the weak ones, the tax collectors and sinners, those outsiders, all of them gathered around the great good shepherd who sees those pharisaical fat sheep, who hears their ganguzoing and their grousing. And so he tells this story because he knows that in their heart there's one thing that those insiders just can't do. So he tells a story. Of once upon a time, there was a shepherd. And this shepherd had a, a flock, a hundred strong. He's got a hundred sheep in his flock. And 99 of those sheep are reasonable, rational, responsible, rule-following sheep. They are the sheep that never go past their curfew, that always listen to the voice of the shepherd and follow him wherever he goes. We have never known sheep like this, but these 99, they're like it. And so this shepherd, he's got to be pleased with this. A 99% batting average to have 99 out of 100, that's pretty good sheep. Pretty good, yeah, pretty good sheep. And so he's got one other one, though. He's got one other silly, straying, foolish sheep that can't help but wander off and get lost from all the rest of this group. This other sheep, he's the one who, you know, he kind of hangs out in the shallow end of the gene pool, right? That's the one that just keeps going away. And you know what? A lost sheep is as good as a dead sheep. And so be it. You've got the other 99. And so the shepherd says to himself, oh, sorry. You know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. You can't have a flock without losing one sheep once in a while. 
And so he lets that sheep go off to his untimely demise and attends himself to the 99 good responsible ones. Oh, wait, that's not how the story goes, is it? As Jesus tells it, you have a crazy shepherd. This does not seem like a good shepherd at all that he is going to leave the 99 responsible sheep. How inefficient, how quixotic, how foolish of him to leave those 99 good sheep in the open country, out in the wilderness, just to go pursue the one foolish, silly stray. And yet that's what this sheep does. That's what this shepherd does. He goes and he seeks out the one lost one. And he finds him and he rejoices like he has just won the lotto. Puts him on his shoulders and whistling and dancing a little jig, he brings him back to the rest of the flock. Now that's where we usually stop the story there. But actually, Jesus is still leading to his climax and the culmination of the parable that he's telling. See, the next thing that happens, according to our Lord, is that that good shepherd goes back to his village and he summons together all of his neighbors and his friends, everyone who can, he can find, and he says to them all, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, for that one that was lost has now been found. That's the one thing that the fat pharisaical sheep, that those insiders simply cannot, will not do. Rejoice with Jesus. At all of these lost ones now found, of all of those outsiders being welcomed inside, no, they will not and they cannot Rejoice with him about that. But why not? To that question, I find insight and inspiration, as I so often do, from movies. And in this case, from the American cinematic classic, Boss Baby. <clears throat> I'm assuming you've all seen Boss Baby, but just in case you haven't, Boss Baby is an animated film that tells the story of seven-year-old Timmy, who along with his parents, they live a perfect life in his family of three. Every night his parents read to him three bedtime stories, give him five hugs, and then sing his beloved song as he goes off to sleep. It's a perfect family, just the three of them. But then one day a strange taxi pulls up and out of that taxi pops this little person who's in a suit and carrying a briefcase who's dancing up the sidewalk. And it is, you guessed it, Boss Baby. Suddenly Tim has a baby, a baby brother? This couldn't be. Our family was perfect. Everything was just fine. And then one day... Tim, who has noticed how his parents are suddenly not giving him all the attention that he had before, who, who don't seem to love him like they once did. Tim's walking down the hall and he overhears a voice coming out of the baby's room. This baby who's constantly screaming and always getting the attention of his parents. But now it doesn't sound like screaming. It sounds like, like talking. And he goes in there and sure enough, there's boss baby on the phone, right? The jig is up. And Timmy says, wait a second, you're not just some ordinary baby. He says, all right, yep, jig is up, but go ahead and sit down. We've got to have a little talk, okay? And the boss baby, he tells Timmy, listen, Timmy, uh, you think that your parents still love you, don't you? Of course mom and dad love me. He says, all right, listen, um, it's simple math, kid. There's only so much love in the world. 
And now they've brought me on board. There's just not enough room for you too. He pulls out one of those toys, you know, the, the bead toys that kind of have the rod with the beads on them to slide back and forth. Boss Baby pulls out the bead toys and he says, look, once upon a time you had all of your parents' love, all the beads, but then I came along and now I take up their time and their attention. Oh, look, Timmy, I take up all their love. I'm sorry, it's simple math, kid. There's just not enough love to go around. You're in now, right? You're like, I got to see Boss Baby. <laughs> I was thinking about this when it comes to these scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, the insiders. Because it's interesting, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, one of the ways that scriptures refer to God's people, to the Israelites, is refers to them as his firstborn. They're called the the firstborn of God. He says, out of Egypt, I called my firstborn son. And so now those scribes and Pharisees, those religious insiders, they're seeing all of these new folks coming in, all of those outsiders, all those tax collectors and sinners, all of those lean, weak sheep. And they're saying, wait a second, the math doesn't add up. Surely there's not enough love to go around. They're viewing the mercy of the Messiah as a zero-sum game, right? If there's more sheep who are coming in, then other sheep must be losing. If he's giving more time and attention and affection to these newcomers, these lost ones, then all of us who'd already been found, we must be losing out. They feel like Timmy when Boss Baby comes along. And so they will not They cannot rejoice at this any more than any of us could rejoice at being fired so somebody else can take our job. But is that the point of Jesus' story? Or is it just the opposite? What if he's showing us that in fact our Lord's love is limitless and his grace is inextinguishable? What if Jesus is seeking to show to you and me that each and every one of us is the lost one and that he has a perfect patience to gather all of us into his flock? I was thinking recently about something that I used to do, a curious habit I had when I was a kid. I'm the firstborn in my family. And I was about four and a half years old when my brother PJ, Peter, came along. And I was thrilled when he came along at first. (laughs) And I remember my family, when PJ was still real little, we'd go on walks, as families do, and he would be in the stroller, and I'm, what, five, six years old. And I would have this strange habit. As we're walking through the woods or going on a simple hike or something like that, I would let the family go ahead of me a little bit and I would sneak behind a tree or slide behind a bush. In other words, I would get lost on purpose. And it would only be a minute or two before my parents would realize, oh, where'd Ryan go? And they would come and find me and bring me back. And I've never really thought about that. And certainly in my five or six-year-old self, I didn't think about why I was doing that. I just had some intuition that this is something I needed to do for my own survival and sanity. But Recently, thinking about that, I realized, uh, no, I did that because in my heart of hearts, I just wanted to feel 
found and to be reassured that I was loved. I wanted my parents to gather me up in their arms once again, if not put me on their shoulders, and say, hey, little guy, we'll always seek you out. And isn't that what all of us want? We all want to know that we are the beloved of the Lord, that we're the lost that he seeks out. And we can think sometimes that he doesn't have time for us. Surely the Lord has a finite amount of patience and attention, but it's not true. Even if all of us have experienced that in some ways, of our parents, though they might love us, they're imperfect people. And maybe at times they didn't even play favorites or, or not give us the attention that we would have liked. And, and for many of us, maybe even within our relationships with others, with our, our spouses or with our friends. I had a friend once break up with me. And he's like, listen, I've, just, I've got too many friends right now. And so we got to part ways, right? Maybe you've had experiences like that and you have enough of that in this life and you can't help but start to think, maybe God's like that too. How could he have time for me and you and all of us? It must be a zero-sum game. But your good shepherd is saying to you and me, no, my love is limitless. My patience is perfect and my grace is inextinguishable and inexhaustible. The king of love your shepherd is. His goodness faileth never. And St. Ambrose once said, St. Ambrose, the early church father, not the you know, Mead guy over in Beulah. Although, just side note, they call it St. Ambrose. He's like the patron saint of bees because his preaching was like honey, they say. And some stories even say he was born with bees in his mouth. I don't know about that one, but now you know. St. Ambrose said, the shoulders of Christ are the arms of the cross. There I laid down my sins, and I rested on the neck of that noble yoke. See, the shoulders of Christ are the arms of the cross, and those shoulders are broad enough to bear each and every one of us. You are never too far from the Savior, and He always, always seeks you out, rejoices day by day, that you are his own. And because of that, we can rejoice with him. We can be glad and grateful for every other lost sheep who might be gathered in. There's a moment toward the end of Boss Baby where now Tim has come to recognize and realize that Love is not a finite thing, that in the mysterious math of care and affection, love multiplies rather than divides, and that his parents are able to love him wholeheartedly and also his little baby brother wholeheartedly. And so he gives a package to the baby brother, who again, big boss baby, is able to somehow read, just, you know, suspend your disbelief. He opens the package and there's a note in there. And the note from Timmy says, if there isn't love enough for the two of us, then I want to give you all of mine. All of my what? He opens the package. It's full of beads. Because he's come to realize it's not a finite thing. It's not a zero-sum game. But it's unlimited. And how much more the love of your Savior and mine 
the good shepherd whose shoulders are broad enough to bear all of his lost sheep so that now we are able to give away his love and his mercy to any and all, to gather them into the family and the flock of God because he, he is the good shepherd. He, he is the one who seeks and searches them out and he enlists you and me to go out as well, to bring them in, to seek the strayed, to search for the lost and to say to one and all, our good shepherd loves you no less than he loves all the others, that his shoulders are broad enough to bear each and every one of us and so that we can call as the company of rejoicers all of our friends and neighbors and bring them together and say, rejoice with me for I was lost and you were lost. And all of us were lost, but now we're fine. We were blind, but now we see. What amazing grace that will never, ever run out. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.